Welcome to the Insecurity Project Podcast. Most people think the best you can do with insecurity is mask it, manage it, or medicate. I'm convinced this is a problem that can be solved for good, and that's what this show is all about. Join me for weekly 10-minute Tuesday episodes, live coaching demonstrations, and world-class interviews on the subject of overcoming insecurity. Now on to today's show. Hey friends, great to be back again after a short break while I was in the US. Uh, Today's episode will be a little bit different. Uh, I just would love to give you a rundown of my experience in the US of A for the week that I had last week. If you're a first-time listener and there's been a bunch of new subscribers and new followers to the Insecurity Project, I'd encourage you to go back and listen to some of the the other episodes. I'd suggest episodes uh, 85, 123, 188, and 210. They are definitely some of the best episodes. I just picked those numbers randomly. I think they're all great episodes. So look, whichever ones you find, you'll love, I'm sure. Uh, but this episode will be different. Normally they're 10 minutes, 10 minute Tuesday. Sometimes they stretch out to 15, but today I might go a little bit longer because uh, it was such a wild ride in the US and there's lots to talk about. So uh, let me let me give you a rundown of the experience, and you can take of it what you would like. You, I'm sure there'll be something interesting for you and something relevant. Uh, this won't just be an exercise in me telling an interesting story. So uh, I went to the US on a whim, really. So Leadership Books is a, was a sponsor of the National Speakers Association Conference, and, and they were able to bring along a few uh, authors from their stable to promote their books at this conference. So they suggested that I, that I might like to come, and I thought, yes, that I I did want to come. Uh, and so I did, and I in the conversations with Kat around, was this a good decision? Could I justify the expenditure? I wasn't sure, but I, I thought, look, it's an amazing opportunity, and all the destiny I feel around being in the US and helping problem solvers and politicians and captains of industry solve insecurity for the sake of the planet, uh, I had to be in the US. So so off I went, and trusting my intuition, trusting the fact that if I went in, if I got in the room, it would go well for me. So um, if I if I ever go to a conference, like my general pattern is, I I have a great attitude on the morning of day one. It's it doesn't get any better for me. I am present. I am open. I am engaged. I talk to everybody. I think this is the greatest thing in the world. And then I tend to peter out as the uh, conference goes on. I just don't have an appetite to sit in a room and hear people talk at me for the whole time. But anyway, so as per the program, um, get into the room and session one is incredible. The president, the former president of the National Speakers Association and now the president of High Point University is interviewing the uh, former U.S. ambassador to the EU and now chairman of the board of directors of AT&T. So he's a big dog. And this guy's talking about current geopolitical challenges and economic crises and and the advancement of technology and some of the interesting things happening in the world today. And he finishes and and the uh, host says, look, we've got time for three questions. So if you can make it to the microphone, uh, first first three people there get to ask a question. So I uh, hightailed it to the mic and was person number three. And so I said to the ambassador, you know, look, I get that there are great challenges in the world today. My question is, do you think we are doing enough to increase the collective consciousness of the leaders responsible for solving those problems? 
and both he and the host looked at each other and then said almost together, What are you saying? We couldn't understand a word you were saying. Where are you from? And so I uh, got to the microphone again, explained that I was from Australia, and they told me to say the question again, and so I repeated myself. And again, you Aussies, you guys are so hard to understand. We didn't get a word of that. Now come on up here, young fella. Come on up here onto the stage. And so I'm up on the stage. There's 600 people in the auditorium all waiting for me to translate my uh, Australian drawl into some intelligible English for the ambassador. And I'm doing it. And then halfway through it, I'm kind of getting the sense that, yeah, now he's understanding exactly what I'm saying, but would prefer that I didn't ask that question and doesn't want to touch it. And so then it gets awkward and I go and sit down. Uh, That was morning one. And, uh, and then for the rest of the conference, I had people coming up to me going, you're that Aussie with that insecurity question, weren't you? And so I was known as that guy. And that was good for me. And I got lots of opportunities to talk about insecurity as a result of that. Um, but then for three days, I'm kind of open to every opportunity. I'm introducing myself. I'm, I'm open. I'm present. I'm like, what's the thing? I'm sure I'm supposed to be here for a reason. I'm sure I'm going to get benefit for being here. Who is it that needs to get my book? Who do I need to speak to? And, you know, it was okay. It, it, it's interesting being in a, in a conference with 600 professional speakers because the common experience is people are only willing to listen to you tell you about them for as long as is uh, justifiably excused for them to then talk back to you so and tell you how special they are. So everyone's preaching to everybody else about how awesome they are. So it's not that fun, really. You might think that's fun, but no, it's, it's not that fun. And so, you know, no one's really interested in opening doors for me. They're, op- they're interested in getting open doors for themselves. That's kind of why they've come to the conference. So, you know, I had massive jet lag and I'm a bit... You know, by the end of day three, I'm like, ah, oh, man, I don't know that this is actually going to be worth it at all. Um, there's no one's that interested in my book. It's a bit intimidating. You know, no one really wants to touch the insecurity issue in terms of global politics. Eh, it's fun to be here, but mm, I'm discouraged. And so I was really flat. Morning, morning of day four, I, I was really flat. I, and interestingly, I woke up at one thirty-five in the morning and didn't go back to sleep. Uh, for the rest of the day so I was agitated tired frustrated and got up and went for a swim and got to the pool and the lifeguard told me that she couldn't let me in because there was only one of her and her colleague had slept in and so then I just went outside in the grass and um, was frustrated again but then but the, the beautiful opportunity about being frustrated is it gives you a chance just to stop and have a look at what's going on and, uh, you know, last week I talked about, or two weeks ago I talked about story state strategy and the fact that that has been one of the most game changing game changing frameworks for me, um, because every day there are a hundred things wanting to knock you off track, and easy to get knocked off track, easy to get frustrated, easy to get upset, easy to get tired, easy for things not to work out. And so here I am having an experience of this is not the experience I wanted to be having in the USA. I've paid a lot of money. Um, cats at home sick and um, you know I'm I should be doing a bunch of work with Leave King Co there's a bunch of stuff that I've put on hold to be over here and it's not working um, but then it was a chance to reflect and so I'm out there at dawn um, I, I love the the practice of earthing to me that has been one of the most beautiful additions to my life all thanks to Sadhguru for suggesting that but just took my shoes and socks off stood on the grass and just watched the sun come up and just 
took a breath and had a look at myself and and realized that I have an incredible amount to be grateful for. And even if I got nothing from this trip, here I am with the opportunity to swan around on the other side of the world, to meet a bunch of cool people, to swim, to run, to eat, to sleep, to to travel. I am I am an incredibly fortunate human being. So that moment of gratitude was the first reset. Um, and then I remind myself about who I am and what's true for me and what I carry in my heart and what my purpose is. And then I I feel strength coming back and I feel clarity. And then I I make a, an intention to myself to lean in for the last day, to not get discouraged, to not shrink back, but to trust the fact that I am here for a reason and it is going to work out for me and that I'll be present. I'll show up wholehearted today and I will engage the world and I will look and I'll wait and I'll be open to what's what. And, I, and that intention off the back of some earthing, I was uh, out I was standing on the grass and my budgie smugglers doing some Tai Chi, um, <laughs> greeting the sun, and then the lifeguard, uh, young 16-year-old girl came out and told me that I could go and swim now. And so I had a swim, and all the time I was swimming, I was watching her walk up and down the side of the pool in this five-meter lap on the side of the pool, walking up, turning around, going back, walking up and back. And and I kind of could see that this was just part of her job description. She'd been given that instruction that that was what she must do. And she was doing it religiously. And as I was watching her, and she, you could tell she was like rolling her eyes, and just like, this is stupid, but i got to do this for my job. And I'm tired and bored, and there's only one person in the pool, and you know there's, this is pointless. But nevertheless, she didn't falter from that routine. It's just watching her, and I... I thought that I would like to engage her about that practice and so did so went up afterwards and just said uh, excuse me young lady I, I might just add I did put some shorts over my budgie smuggler so that uh, I didn't look quite the creeper but anyway uh, I said excuse me young lady I, I'm not sure if you're aware but you are encountering a psychological test right now and she says, well, what do you mean? I said, yeah, yeah, this is a psychological test because you are walking up and down by the side of the pool and it makes no sense. It's not actually helping anyone do anything. You don't need to be doing that for your job, no matter what you've been told. You look at me, you see this guy can swim. The pool's only you know, a metre and a half deep at the deep end, so um, I'm a good swimmer, I'm not going to drown. There's no one else in the pool. You don't actually need to be doing that, and you know that's true. However, you've been told this is a requirement of your job. So here's the psychological test you're under. You are doing something that you know makes no sense. You are doing something that you know is bullshit, but you feel like you are in the illusion of no choice. You must continue to practice bullshit for the sake of your job and for the sake of doing what you were being told to do. But here's the dilemma, because to keep practicing bullshit, you have to lie to yourself. You have to hear yourself say, this makes no sense. This serves no purpose. This is stupid. This is pointless. This is killing me. This is taking a life from my very soul, yet I'll keep doing it because I have to. If you can justify that in that moment, then what else will you justify? What other bullshit will you do just because someone tells you that's what you need to do? It's supposed to feel icky when you do stuff that makes no sense. That is your wisdom voice. That is your intuition telling you to pay attention. 
and you have an opportunity to listen to it at great cost because to listen to it, you might go, huh, look at this. I actually don't want to work in a job where I've got to do things that make no sense. Sure, you've got to do things that are hard, happy to do things that are hard, but not happy to do things that make no sense, that I can clearly, rationally understand, serve no purpose, and are bullshit, literally bullshit. And so I had this conversation with her. She's looking at me like, uh, can you stop talking now? But she was she was gracious and she understood and um, I you know I think as far as I can tell I think she's now quit her job and is at home drinking beer, so that went well. But I'm glad that I spoke to her and and then I went home and recorded a video about that very idea and a bunch of people around the world responded to that and it was just me being open and leaning in and being wholehearted. <clears throat> then I get to breakfast and I I wander around the room going who I don't know anyone in this room so. I could sit anywhere, and so I just watch and kind of go, hmm, I'm going to go sit on that table. And as soon as, it, as soon as I sit down, a couple of people engage me, and I go, I, I chose the right table. Um, there was one guy who, who I sat next to who was one of the speakers on the main stage, and um, he was very welcoming and warm, and I heard a bit about his story. He heard a bit about mine, and he said to me, um, Jamin, you need to be on the main stage of this event next year. And I said, yeah, great. How does that happen? And he said, good. I'm going to introduce you to one of the um, board members who on the selection committee who does, who who chose me for this this event, and he he's the one you've got to pitch to. He, he said, I don't know if he's still in the room, but if he's still here, I will find him and introduce him to you. His name's Brian. I'm like, amazing. Thank you so much. So I walked away from that breakfast going, look at that. That was a very serendipitous conversation, and now I'm looking for Brian. Who knows whether Brian's still here, but if Brian's here, I'd love to meet him. Um, then I had a book signing later in the morning, was doing that, and the chairman of the board for the event came and introduced himself to me, and and uh, while I was there introducing, I said, you don't, you don't happen to know Brian, do you? I was told that I need to meet Brian, and he's like, Brian Walton? Yeah, I know Brian. In fact, that's him just standing right there. And so he said, I'll introduce you to him. I'm like, well, incredible. And so I go and meet Brian and Brian's warm. And I say, look, I've been told that I need to speak to you. And I understand I have limited time. And uh, this is my best pitch around why I, why I need to be speaking at this event next year. And then I gave him my book told him about my thing and he says oh cool that's interesting um and then i could tell he wasn't really listening because he said so what what's your thing you know you know this is after i've explained the seven essential practices for overcoming insecurity and he goes so what have you got like a is it a one thing a, a two thing a three thing is that, is that your thing and i said uh no it's a it's a seven thing uh, as per the book as per the title he's like oh i get it now seven and so uh he was a little embarrassed by the fact that he clearly hadn't been listening and then then he listened and he was open. And then I, I left. I had three minutes with him, and he was very interested. And then he had my book in his hand. And for whatever reason, he was in the middle of something, and so carried that book around with him for the next two hours. And I watched him, and every person he interacted said, what's that book you've got there? And then he explained my book to everybody else in the room and, and had a joke about asking me if there were three things when, in fact, there were seven. Uh, he also, while I was there, said, uh, you also need to speak to the Australian representative. And what's his name? And um, he says, his name's Chris. I'm like, cool, I need to find Chris. And so he says, where's Chris? He says, I don't know, but if I find Chris, I'll point him out to you. You know, you've got to know there's 600 people in the room, and so who, who knows whether I'll find Chris. So after that, then I introduce myself to another couple of people, start talking to them, and I mention that I'm looking for Chris. 
and and one of the guys I'm talking to seems like a very spiritual character, and he says, "Oh, I'm I'm glad that you know what you're looking for because the fact that you've said you know Chris and you want to find Chris and I know who Chris is means that Chris will show up here. You watch what happens next." No sooner had he finished that sentence, we looked to our side, and there's Chris. It, it, hard to hard to explain how that actually happened, but nevertheless. <laughs> Chris shows up and they have a conversation with Chris for the next 20 minutes about what's going on in Australia and how I can be involved. And and I'm just thinking, this is amazing because I, I almost missed this whole day because I was frustrated this morning. But here it is. Now the opportunities are opening and I'm getting the connections that I need. And the day goes on. I met a bunch of other cool people and I'm just feeling so grateful and alive that it's all good. Then I went for a run, uh, went for a swim, had a nap. Um, and so... Just loved the day. And I went back to the conference in the end of the day and thought, I think I've got everything I need from this trip. I I feel like there's some guaranteed opportunities coming up for me and I can justify the spend on being here. But I might just meet one last person before I go back to my room, even though I felt like I've got everything that I need. And so I go and introduce myself to this guy that I think looks interesting uh, and interesting he was. He turns out to be a gay a Jordanian asylum seeker who'd fled his country two years ago and come to the US with nothing and also has Asperger's. And he asked me if I'd been into Nashville yet to, to see the city, and I I hadn't. I, I'd wanted to, but uh, you know it was half an hour away and the conference was my main focus. And so I said, no, I haven't. But he says, look, I'll tell you what, um, I will be your tour guide. Come, come with me, have dinner, and we'll go and explore Nashville tonight. And so uh, I met him in the lobby a few hours later and we went into Nashville. And he, in the Uber on the way, he says, look, um, this is how it'll play out tonight. We'll just walk. And, and as we walk, we will end up in the right rooms and meet the right people and have the right experiences. Are you okay just to walk? And I said, cool, all right, you're running lead on Project Nashville Nightlife tonight. I'm in your hands. And so uh, it was an extraordinary night. If you've been to Nashville, uh, you'll know what I'm talking about. If you haven't, you walk down Broadway and every restaurant has a band pumping tunes and the the restaurant right next door also has a band competing with the tunes from next door and the, and the door up the street. And across the road, there's just this cacophony of noise. There's these party pontoons, bike riding pontoons going up and down the street. People yahooing and carry on. Um, there's a lot to take in. And, and so a very vibrant, energized place. We had some food, listened to some music, and then just walked. Um, uh, and... As, as we walked, I get to hear this guy's story and just been through some extraordinary suffering, um, you know, coming out as gay and being targeted by his family and friends and cut off from everything he'd worked for and everything he'd known and literally having to flee the country for his life. Um, but, but I could clearly tell that this guy had endured great suffering and it had, it had refined him. He had come out the other side having lost everything and emerged as a, as a wonderful human being. And it was an extraordinary experience um, having him lead me around Nashville. And so we end up walking and then who knows how we, we find ourselves at a, a comedy club that Joe Rogan often recommends in Nashville. And we're there late, but we rock in. It's halfway through the set, so we don't buy a ticket. We just, we're in there and um, two or three comedians before the night's finished, just the energy and the vibe, just magic. And then we hop out of there and, we just walk again, and he uh, he stops a car 
on the, rather than looking in Google, what should we do next? He just gets out in the road and just stops a car, sticks his head in the window and says, um, where, where should we go next? And, and these people say, oh, look, uh, there's this basement venue just around the corner. You have to go there. You go up this street, turn left over there. And so we follow instructions and arrive at this boarded up building that we think, surely this isn't it. Um, knock on a couple of doors that aren't the right doors, wander ourselves around the back and find ourselves at this dark, dingy place. It doesn't look like it's it, but we're told it's it. And find our way in and downstairs into this incredible music venue and there's a couple of acts playing and we we drink bud and uh and and bourbon and whiskey sorry um, tennessee whiskey and uh and bb is his name the jordanian he's got this uh, delta eight um, in a marijuana oil vape um that we're sucking on as well so this ex- this extraordinary experience and i'm i'm just I'm like one of the things you need to understand about me is is that uh, I I do trust I trust my nature the rapport that I have with myself is my compass so this whole time uh, I am totally surrendered to this experience but at the same time I'm not doing anything that's not safe I'm not doing anything that's breaking rapport with myself I'm here and and it's safe and, and I trust myself to be surrendered in this moment so. I'm having an extraordinary experience, and like watching watching this guy interact with the world and just float through places and meet people and hearing his story and the intelligence with which he spoke and the presence that he carried. I'm walking with him, and I'm I can't I don't even know if he's real. To be honest, I have this moment where I'm like I don't know if this guy is actually a real person. I think he's God. Like it feels like everything that comes out of his mouth is. Um, you know, extraordinarily spiritual and such an amazing experience. And so we're listening to this music, um, you know, whiskey and beer, uh, marijuana oil, and then the main band comes on. And uh, the first chord that they play, like the music just goes straight through me. And like, this is pure. Who are these guys? And I listen to them. They sing about pain, three brothers, singing about pain <laughs> like clearly have had some stuff going on in their world but they bring something pure out of themselves and one of the most transcendent experiences of my life just um, caught up in the wonder of music and life and vibrancy um, standing beside uh, an incarnation of God who is uh, you, you know the total opposite of of every person I've ever met really I don't encounter gay Jordanian asylum seekers with Asperger's very often um, and then when this guy reached over and kissed me, even no, he didn't kiss me. <laughs> Just settle down there. Gee, I get carried away. There was none of that. It was all wonderful. Uh, such an extraordinary experience. And then catching the Uber home and sleeping incredibly well all night, waking up going, I nearly missed that. I nearly missed uh, one of the most profound experiences of my life by having a bad attitude and being closed. And look at what happened when I just showed up open and present and wholehearted. Look at what happened when I trusted my nature, when I felt connected to the source. And then, you know, he messaged me the next morning saying, let's go grab some breakfast. So we head out of the hotel, you know, go find an American diner. The waiting room is half an hour. And so we end up at McDonald's instead. And I don't know if you've been to McDonald's in the US, but it's not food that you're eating there. 
like you might think the quality of Australian McDonald's is not great. Um, American McDonald's is not even food. That's, you, you, the quality of it is just horrific. But interestingly, we walk in there and this skinny, middle-aged uh, African-American waitress serving us, she, she watches a swan in there and she engages us and she speaks to us from her heart to our heart. She says, I see you blokes, you, you pair swanning in here or, you know, looking for your all-day breakfast. I see you. And the interaction with her, it just took my breath away as well. And I, and I came out of there, you know, the food horrible, but just so enriched by another encounter with God. This woman was God too. Who would have thought? And again, the, the abundance of life all around, just by being open to it, just by being connected to it. So after this extraordinary conversation and interaction all night and, and then with breakfast, Bibi said to me, hey, Jamin, um, you are on the right path. And and then we parted ways. Uh, just absolutely extraordinary. I then finished up by heading to LA uh, for the whole day. I had two extraordinary meetings there. Got to dip a toe in the water at Santa Monica Pier and see Venice Beach. Um, and and flew home with a full heart and feeling very enlarged by the experience. Uh, so that was my American experience. I might add that I on while getting onto the plane walking down the tunnel to get into the plane in Sydney, I, I noticed that my fly was undone and when I went to do it up, the zipper broke. And so uh, embarrassingly, I got onto the plane with my fly wide open and kind of felt appropriate though, heading to the USA with my balls out. So that was my US trip. Glad to be home, recovered from jet lag, good to see my friends and family again. Uh, excited about the opportunities and abundance of life all around me today as well. So bye for now. I'll talk to you next week. You've been listening to the Insecurity Project podcast. All you need to solve any problem is the proven framework and someone skillful enough to hold you in the space until it works. If this is your year to be insecurity free, jump on the insecurityproject.com and begin your journey to become unhindered by getting a free copy of the seven essential practices for overcoming insecurity.